We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pacer Nation, have we got a show for you? Yes, we are back. Alex Golden, Mike Focci, and we're going to talk the last couple of games the Pacers have played and just discuss this team overall. And we're going to highlight some individuals that have been really, really productive. In the next segment, we're going to be joined by Scott Agnes to discuss all things Indiana Pacers. We're going to get an update on Doug McDermott's injury. We're going to hear how close Jeremy Lamb is to returning. And we're also just going to talk about this Pacers rotation, the minutes, some different variations of what they could do with the starting lineup. And we're also going to find out how soon Goga could be returning. So lots of exciting things. And oh, yeah, by the way, I've already got two messages in my Twitter DMs about Lance Stevenson. He is going to be entering the G League draft. So not sure how that impacts the Pacers. We did ask Scott about that towards the end of the podcast. So if you're here for that, that is going to be towards the end. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe, download this episode, and let's get to it. Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joined today by the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, your Washington Wizards, man, two and six. What's going on? Wow, you would start the episode off like that. Absolutely not. I'm not even going to entertain it because life as a Pacer fan, Alex, it is good right now. I would say I'm strutting into the office, but instead that office is just my bedroom. But I am watching these games, and I am loving what I'm seeing right now. Well, let's talk about the guy that has been on fire this week. Someone I put a tweet out saying should be the Eastern Conference player of the week, and that's Malcolm Brogdon. This guy has been on a tear, and while it's great to see consistency from some bonus and Miles Turner become that defensive monster we all knew that he could be, you know, protecting the rim like crazy, and then Victor, you know, showing showing signs once again that he's starting to come back to his former self – the, the man that's been the steadiest is the president, Malcolm Brogdon. Tell us a little bit about him, Fachi. 
as the kids say these days, Alex, he's in his bag. Whether it's Gucci, Louie, I don't know what kind of bag it is that these kids are talking about. But he's dipping in there, and, I mean, whether it's from three-pointers, I mean, the guy is shooting just lights out from three right now, 47% on the year. Whether it's from the field overall, you're shooting about 52%. But it's just that he looks like this offense is fitting him. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now you're talking about – a career high in two of the last three games, he's he's protecting the ball. I mean, his assists, even with Vic healthy and on the court, are just exactly where they were last year at, at seven per game. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon right now, this is exactly what we envisioned. Actually, no, this is better. Yeah, it's better. What we envisioned when we got Brogdon in the sign and trade because this man right now, it, it I think it is impossible to say that as of now, Malcolm Brogdon is not an all-star in this league. Right now, you don't think he is an all-star? You do I'm, say, I'm saying it's impossible to say that he isn't. Oh, okay. Well, sorry, I, I misheard you there. I was like, wait a second. What are we talking about here? Because this guy has been a machine on both ends of the floor, guarding the opponent's best player most nights. Brandon Ingram, we, we saw him guard James Harden last night. Harden did not play well, and that was that on Harden a little bit? Probably so. But, you know, Malcolm Brogdon had a, had a say in it because Malcolm Brogdon's a very smart defender. I think he's third currently right now in steals per game with 1.9. If I if I remember correctly, I could be off on that number, but it's actually two. Two, actually. okay. It did it two did move steals up. Steals per game, which which blows out anything he averaged in the past. Yeah, no, it's like, and if you think about his shooting numbers, he's shooting 50% from the three, 40% from two, and no, 50% from two, 40% from three. And I think he's at 87% the last time I checked from the free throw line. Yes. So so this is a guy that's right up there close to that 50-40-90 club that he once was in before he came to the Pacers. And he's got a much higher usage rate. He, he's just carrying this team on his back. And honestly, this guy doesn't get enough credit for how good he's been. He doesn't get enough credit. He's actually closer to the 50-50-90 club you know, than he is 50-40. He's playing that good. It's yeah. easy to overlook that. But for Brogdon right now, I mean, this guy, his engine must be just nonstop because he's played over 40 minutes in the last three games, and he's saving his best for last at times. Yeah. I mean, I talked about it on, on the last episode, how he hits that game winner over Eric Bledsoe, not just anybody, an all-NBA defensive player, Eric Bledsoe, the same Eric Bledsoe Milwaukee elected to pay over Brogdon. So it, it just – I love it right now. He's speaking the highest of praises of Nate Bjorken's system, and – we were talking about guarding James Harden. James Harden was averaging 44.5 points per game against the Pacers in his last two. Uh, James Harden had, I believe it was, was it 15 points last night? Yeah. I mean, James Harden played a rough game to the point where there was a Rockets reporter. They unfortunately caught this on camera. At the end, when they go to take a cut, they say, he quit last night. Yeah, <laughs> jokingly he laughed and goes, he quit. <laughs> exactly, and I believe part of that is just the Pacers were looking good. Brogdon's defending good. I mean, it just it had Harden off of his game, and it, and that's a that's a rare thing to do for the NBA's leading scorer. Yeah, and I think that it also helped the Pacers out that Christian Wood was unavailable to play in uh, the Rockets-Pacers game on Wednesday night because rebounding has been a problem for this Pacers team. And while Christian Wood is not the most dominant rebounder, he definitely would have made a difference. And it's just it, – when it comes down to it, Fachi, I just, I just love what I'm seeing from Brogdon. I love the leadership that we're seeing. I love how he is just so poetic and what he has to say to the media when he talks to them. 
whether it's on social things or whether it's on, you know, political things or whether it's on this team or his coach, you just, you just always love to hear what he has to say. And I think this team has been, you know, they've been hitting on all cylinders because of Malcolm Brogdon. And honestly, you know, I thought to myself, you know, Sabonis is arguably the best player on this team right now, but the way Brogdon's been playing this last week, He's really catapulted Sabonis, in my opinion, and, and has taken that from him as the best player on this Pacers team overall. I can't argue that one bit. His uh, Brogdon's importance to this team is being shown night in, night out, and it's it just like it. It feels like you know we talked about it in the past how it went from being Vic's team to Brogdon's team, and I know Vic's still putting up twenty points per game, but it feels like Brogdon's that guy. I now where it just feels like he's much more of a leader on and off the court. And I just, I love what I'm seeing. He seems like an absolute model citizen and someone that you want leading your team. And right now, I mean, Brogdon doesn't have the biggest name in the league, but you're going to be, it's going to be pretty hard to find many point guards playing better than Malcolm Brogdon. Well, based on what I've been hearing pretty much on uh, social media and on these national podcast i mean all we're hearing about is peyton pritchard from boston a backup point guard and it's stuff like this that drives me crazy because malcolm brogdon i mean i understand you don't want to spend every single podcast talking about the indiana pacers like i get that if you're a national podcast but it's like seriously peyton pritchard is a backup point guard who's playing well for the celtics there's nothing wrong with saying that he's playing well but at the same time malcolm brogdon is having an all-star level season he's really catapulted this pacers team up to the top of the eastern conference and we're spending more time on other podcasts talking about Peyton Pritchard and, and, and guys that really aren't at the, at the same level as Malcolm Brogdon. So unfortunately for me, Vachi, I've been kind of getting some Peyton Pritchard fatigue, and I'm sure you can hear it right now. But I just feel like, once again, uh, the Pacers are a team that's really fun. And they're a team that's competing at a whole other level than I thought they would to start the season. And, and it's all been because of Malcolm Brogdon and his leadership and what he brings to the table. Oh, it really has. And just where I think right now, I, I talked about, said it before, but this team is is fun. It just feels like they didn't have that sexy offseason you wanted. They brought back Justin Holiday, which was something that needed to happen. But you know how it is. Everybody always wants a little bit of a change. Well, Nate Bjorken was their their free agency, essentially. He yeah. was their, their big signing. And it seems just evident that that is what the, the Pacers needed other than to just stay healthy. Even when this team's not healthy, it doesn't feel like, oh, my God, there goes TJ Warren. The season's done. No, yeah. the Pacers have three players averaging over 20 points per game. And just to throw a couple numbers at you, I mean, this is a team that I thought the defense was going to fall off a bit, but it, it actually hasn't. I mean, right now that, that – they're giving up 108 points per game, which I believe is ninth best in the league. So you're you're right over there. But also, they're seventh in the NBA in scoring at just under 115 points per game. Third in field goal percentage at 49%. The three-pointers, everything that we asked for. Could, could you shoot better from three? They're shooting 17. No, they're 17th in the league in three-pointers made and attempted. So this is a team right now where we're seeing – Guys kind of step into a modern style of offense. They protect the ball. They're, they're great ball movement. They're, they're top five in assists. They're, they're seventh in, in fewest turnovers. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff happening. And to show that it's not all about the three, last night against Houston, the Pacers had 60 points in the paint. Wow. Yeah, they were playing small. The Rockets were. So, I yeah, I, I absolutely love some of the action we saw there, Fachi, from – 
from the Pacers trying to get Sabonis some looks down low. And, and Sabonis had a really good first quarter. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me was when Victor Oladipo set a back screen for him to get him an open look down low. And we've seen some different variations of that where Sabonis has been, you know, been the focal point for the defense. But then, of course, there's no way to get him open except for getting him some off-ball movement, getting him uh, to cut off of an off-ball screen. And while Victor's not the greatest screener, it, it does pre pre uh, present a problem. And he can set that screen and hopefully get that switch. And then Sabonis can get a smaller guy on him like Nawaba or, or whoever on him in the paint. Oh, my God. I loved when Houston tried to match up against Sabonis because we saw P.J. Tucker with just such a flop on Sabonis. And it just looked like Sabonis was hammering into him like a truck. I mean, I, I even tweeted it out. I can't imagine P.J. Tucker thinking anything of, whoa, that Domas Sabonis is a whole lot of man because he had no answer for that. And Sabonis right now, we haven't gotten a – I mean, I haven't gotten a touch on it with you, but – this man is shooting over 50% from three, and it's not just like, you know, half an attempt per game. A couple of years ago, Sabonis literally averaged 0.2 attempts from three. Yeah, he didn't per shoot him. <laughs> he didn't shoot him at all. He's now shooting over two threes a game, and he's shooting 53%. That's the one thing we asked from him to add to his game this year, and he's done it. Yeah. No, and I think it's it's not been a large sample size, but it's been a big enough sample size to say, hey, I don't feel as nervous with him taking it. Mm -hmm. And he's shooting with confidence, and that's all you can ask for. Like some of the shots he's taken, I think he hit one big one against the Cavaliers where I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, throughout the season it's been more consistent, and it's just great to see him shooting it so confidently because if he can continue to work on that and, and score in the paint like he is, he's going to be a dynamic player. I think the one area, this is my only critique of him, besides the turnovers on offense and his scoring, if teams are going to force him to take those awkward, like nine foot jumpers or 12 foot jumpers, like, you know, not let him get to where he feels comfortable. I would like to see him just kind of work on, all right, if you're going to give me the 11 foot or the 12 foot or whatever it is, I'm going to be able to knock that down on you too. And I think that's something he can work on because a lot of times you'll see him get a little bit of frustration going there without getting a foul call or he'll get an offensive foul, trying to create space down in the paint because he wants to get just a little bit closer to the basket because he's so crafty with his feet and so good down there. But at the same time, I think, hey, it, in, instead of trying to barrel your way through to get like a four-footer or a five-footer, just take that 10-footer and, and put that ball in the hoop, and that'll really make him more diverse because then he pretty much comes becomes unguardable. He does. He has a lot of tricks um, up his sleeve, and I feel like – more people are starting to finally catch on to just how great of a talent Sabonis is. I'm starting to get the text from other people. I'm starting to hear him talk about, talk about a little bit more on podcasts, and he deserves it. And so does Malcolm Brogdon, because most people, when you think of the Pacers, you think Victor Oladipo. And I am happy to, to see Vic playing much better than, honestly, I anticipated. Mm -hmm. But the play of Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon needs a little bit more praise. And man, all three guys, like, look, Vic, I feel like I, you know, I wouldn't expect him to name wise. And, you know, while he's playing, could be, you know, named in that all, all star consideration, whatever. But Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon deserve that all star consideration right now. And I know there's not going to be an all star game this year, but I still just hope that they get the praise that they deserve. And I feel like they're starting to get it. No, they are. And I think. Somebody you have to bring up too in all this is is Miles Turner, and this is a guy 
that we talked a lot about in the offseason, him and Victor both, we thought one of them was going to get traded. And we heard in the rumors, and those kind of were confirmed by Turner, that he was actually going to be on the move to Boston if that deal did go through for Gordon Hayward. So it didn't go through. And what what would Turner have done? You know, what could Turner have done if, you know, the trade didn't go through like it didn't? He could have came in here and, and just pouted about it and, and been mentally lost and, and could have just been like, I want out of this. I want out of, off this team. I want out of this roster. You know, I want out of Indiana. I want a new, I want a new home that's going to love me. But instead, he took it personal. He said, oh, you guys want to trade me? And then the fact that Boston said, oh, they didn't want Miles Turner, he wasn't good enough, um, basically said that he was, had no value. That definitely, to me, triggered Miles Turner to play with a chip on his shoulder. And I really believe the way that Miles Turner has elevated his game, it, one, has been part of the coaching staff, but two, it has been on Miles Turner. Miles Turner has taken that next step because he is out there to prove a point. He's out there to show these naysayers and these haters, yes, you can call me a hater if you want. He can he's coming out here to show us, hey, look what I can do. No, he's not a great rebounder. He never will be a great rebounder and everybody continues to point that out even when he has eight blocks a game. Rebounding is important. Yes it is. And I understand, yes, I'd like him to get more rebounds, but at the same time, his impact on this Indiana Pacers team overall has probably been one of the biggest impacts out of all the players on this team. He is playing his role to perfection right now. Yes. I think that he has completely honed in on, I want to be defensive player of the year. I think it still fueled him from not even being in the top consideration a few years ago when everybody thought he deserved it. Uh, He knows he needs to up his game. And from a block standpoint, I mean, there, there's, there shouldn't even be someone below his name right now because I believe that Monster on the season is at like 33 blocks and the next is like 20. I mean, it, last night, I could not have cared less that he only had two points because the eight blocks were ridiculous. They were oh, yeah. ridiculous. And, and everything, if you just looked from a sheer number standpoint, you'll never get it. You'll never see the bigger picture of what he's doing right now because at the end of the game against the Pelicans, Zion was trying to throw everything down. And if even one of those dunks goes in, the game's over. It's over. Turner Mm -hmm. did everything he could, whether it's deflecting it, altering shots, everything. And then he takes it one step further to hit the game-sending shot to overtime. So – it's just that for, for what his role is on this team, he has been nothing short of an absolute professional who where it's evident that his confidence is higher. And I oh, love every yeah. second of it because that that's what means the most for Monster. I feel like at times he would get into his own head and kind of take himself out of it. Now I'm, I'm willing to give that man the green light. I know shooting percentage-wise from three, his numbers aren't where you want him to be. I don't care. They'll get there eventually. Keep shooting, Miles. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is, like, he doesn't have to be that dynamic scorer. He doesn't have to be that dynamic rebounder. If he can come out there and play this great of defense and impact the floor that way, um, who cares? But we do have two questions before we bring on Scott Agnes for a little bit of a mailbag podcast here. Didn't really promote it too much, but just said, if you have any questions, throw them at us, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to them. And so we have two, and one is from Rick Kelly, and he said, how long do you think we can have Brogdon and Sabonis running uh, this playing in these many minutes they could get hurt or we could see two all-stars um, um, and, and pacer uniforms this year so I really think his his question here is you know these minutes uh, they are a bit of a concern I know in the in the next uh, segment with Scott Agnes we're going to talk about that because I know Scott's working on an article to discuss all that but just real quick Fotch, what are your thoughts 
on the amount of minutes these guys are playing. I think it's too much. Domas averaging 37 minutes per game, it, it worries me a bit because this is a guy coming off the plantar fasciitis injury. I mean, we just saw that injury basically rob T.J. Warren of what could potentially be most of the season. Not sure the exact extent to how long he'll be out for, but it, it's looked as the majority. Uh, we need this team healthy, and there's just so much of a bigger part a bigger picture here. I mean, how many times have we seen this Pacers team limp into the playoffs where you're missing Domas or you're missing Vic or, you know, TJ Warren's hurt or, you know, Brogdon's had seven different injuries. I mean, it gets to the point where every now and then I think we do need to rest these guys. I mean, maybe cut down their minutes a bit, but I'm also a fan of, look, you never want to throw a game, mm-hmm. but who cares about a game right now in, in January when there's, there's a much bigger, a longer season to play and I just think at this point, sure, there's going to be 10 less games, but it's going to become important to, to take down these minutes because we're seeing what this team could be. And I like what I'm seeing, but a simple injury could really alter that picture. Well, no, and that's a good point because one thing I will say, it's like, it's okay to be concerned about the minutes. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm I'm totally in that ball, ball field. I, I really do believe that, hey, these minutes are a little bit out of hand, but at the same time, I'm not going to lose pleasure in watching a Pacers game just because Malcolm Brogdon's playing 29 straight minutes. Like, no. yes, it's concerning, but I'm not going to let that be the main focal point of why the Pacers beat the Pelicans. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be as negative about that as, you know, some people might be on that topic. But I think if you look at the overall um, regular season, we've had two blowout wins, and, and that was against the Cavaliers and the Bulls. Other than that, all these games have been close. So when it comes down to close games, you're going to see those guys play more minutes. And I think Bjorkman's really trying to establish his system. Mm-hmm. And he wants to get out to a hot start, number one, because if the Pacers get out to a hot start, once they get these guys coming back from injury, then Lamb, um, TJ Warren eventually, and then Gogo Batadze, like once you add those guys to the mix, then you're going to probably lose some games just by trying to get guys more minutes. So I'm okay with him trying to establish a culture, establish his offense and whatever going forward. But Yes, they cannot be playing 38 minutes a game for 72 games throughout the season. They're going to wear down come playoff time. But if they can maybe rest back-to-backs every once in a while or if they can get those minutes down to 33 to 34, I mean, you talk about four to five minutes, maybe even seven for some of these guys that are close to 40 the last couple of games, you can you know shave off eight minutes of game time so the remaining 64, that's a lot of minutes that you can save and a lot of miles you can save on these guys' legs. So. It's, it really just comes down to um, who they're playing, what the score is, foul trouble, stuff like that. Um, give some guys on the bench a chance, even if it's not the greatest production. I mean, you think about it, if you're playing TJ McConnell, Edmund Sumner, and Jakar Sampson with the second unit, there's not a lot of scoring out there. And that's probably why Bjorkman hasn't gone with that. But maybe finding a way to stagger minutes more and uh, get these guys a little bit more rest would be, would be ideal, Fudge. It really would. I mean, if this was like playoff time, then it'd be like, oh, perfect. Like, you know, keep doing what you're doing because the bench, I, I mean, I know McDermott got hurt, but shout out to the bench. I mean, yeah. la- last night, Holiday plus 22, Doug McDermott plus 13, TJ McConnell plus 16. I mean, those guys have just been playing real well. I mean, we were a little bit worried about McConnell going into the season. Yeah, let's talk about that because yeah. I, okay, so I want to just say this. I kind of got, caught up in the uh, the the NBA acronym of nothing but analytics. Mm-hmm. And I was one that's like, we cannot play McConnell. Look what he did in the playoffs. He was terrible. He can't shoot threes. Why are we playing this guy? Um, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> you know, the analytics might say, 
oh, he's not a good three-point shooter. He's really small defensively. He's not someone that you really want in there for the majority of you know your backup point guard minutes, which I understand that case. I'm not saying that the analytics are bad, but what I will say is analytics don't show the heart in, in the energy of a player. And when you have T.J. McConnell out there on the floor, he impacts the game and he changes the game with his energy. You need a guy off the bench who you can trust with the ball and someone that can go out there and just be disruptive. That's what Bjorken's been preaching all offseason and this season, you know, even though we're, you know, just barely into it. He wants to play a disruptive type of defense. And, and I don't know how many inbounds passes he's stolen, uh, <laughs> you know, this season already, but just the pressure that he puts on these guys. And I'm not saying, oh, he's, he's the savior for this team or he's the best player. Like, no, he's got his limitations. He's a bad shooter. And I'm really glad to see him taking the shots that he's comfortable taking and not forcing threes when he doesn't need to. He needs to play his game. And even though it might not match up analytically with what everybody wants their backup or what wants their guards to have as far as um, analytics go, he, he plays his game. And I think that we should, you know, really tip our hats to, to, to not just McConnell, but Bjorken for allowing McConnell to be who he is and still try to play this new modern style of system. Yeah, all the knocks that you mentioned on McConnell before was probably exactly what his like pre-draft report looked like. But <laughs> yeah. all this guy needed was a chance, and he's earned the, those minutes. I mean, last night, his numbers are not going to blow you away, but you're talking about four points, three rebounds, three assists, three steals, zero turnovers. I mean, that's really good basketball. He's just pesky. I mean, just the energy right there, that alone – I mean, it, it, it goes a long way. I mean, we've even heard a completely unrelated note. We've even heard how much of, like, a great guy like Orlando Johnson was in the locker room back in the day when they when they released him and brought in Evan Turner. Just little stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, T.J. McConnell brings something to the table that will never show up on a box score. Oh, so yeah. I think that he's earned the minutes that he's getting. Yes, he'll have some limitations, but – I think the pros outweigh the cons. I don't think he's ever going to be the reason you're going to lose any game at all. So I like what I'm seeing out of McConnell. It was very happy to bring him back, especially at the number that he was brought back. And it was just like a, why not? Why wouldn't we do this? Yeah, I know it made perfect sense. And, you know, even though his role has probably been a little bit different than I envisioned it, I'm okay with it. And I think that McConnell is uh, been a huge positive to this Pacers success, so or uh, this early season success. But we have one more question before we take a break and bring on Scott Agnes. So um, ADJAFRE underscore, I don't know how to pronounce that handle, but that is the spelling of it. He wants to know if the Pacers can continue this play all season long and finish this year as a top four seed. He says, I don't see it as impossible staying behind only the Nets and 76ers. So I guess that would mean top three than Fachi. Do you think the Pacers – right now can finish in that upper uh, upper tier of the Eastern Conference. Oh, man, I, I hope so. I mean, I think just like anyone – Be bold. Be bold. Can I, could be, I, I could be blinded by the, by the moment, but I'm going to say this team's more in that four to five spot right there, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Orlando, come on. They're going to drop out over there. <laughs> I think that the Raptors – They got off to a hot start last year too, I believe. They did. That's like what they do. The Raptors, if you look at record-wise, they're horrible. This year, I mean, the the Heat aren't having a, a good run right now. They're three and four. Like you know, Milwaukee's going to do better. The Knicks, I mean, come on. Like eventually, they're going to wake up and be like, all right, you know, we are not a playoff team. So I, I think that the Pacers can settle right in that four to five spot. I think Boston's looked sluggish. They've had like 
two game winners. Otherwise, you know, and then the game against us, otherwise they'd be staring at a, a brutal start to the season. So I see the Pacers right in that four or five spot, but also close enough to compete for third. Yeah, no, I, I really think like on paper, like, yes, there's teams that look better than the Pacers because they have more star studded players. But it was interesting because when I had Zach Noble on last week, I asked him, what is the, what is the ceiling for this Pacers team? And he said, Honestly, he said, I would not be surprised if they finished first in the Eastern Conference as far as regular season standings go. And, you know, I kind of scoffed at first. I was like, really? Yeah. Like, that seems a little bit of a stretch. But at the same time, like, the way they're playing right now, if they finish top three, it would not surprise me because they're no. clicking on all cylinders. If they can stay healthy, you know, there's been some some weird injuries that have happened already. Markel Fultz going down for the season. And, and of course, you're going to continue to see more. T.J. Warren, of course, for the Pacers, uh, got hurt and so that did put the Pacers back a little bit but at the same time I think it's going to give more opportunities to Victor and Miles to kind of showcase their games and uh, maybe Doug McDermott a little bit Justin Holliday they're going to have more of a chance to kind of fill in that role and, and get some opportunities to play but of course we'd be better with TJ Warren but yeah I'm not I'm not I said seven at the beginning of the year and you know I don't think Boston's been that impressive you mentioned it Toronto is somebody that we thought would be better than the Pacers they have not played well so, yeah, I mean, if they finish top three, that would not shock me. They're playing great basketball right now. And if they continue to play at this level, why not? Yeah, why not is definitely a good way to sum it up. Health is going to be everything. I yeah. mean, I, I at this point, I don't expect, uh, you know, Warren back for a while. But if the rest of the group can stay healthy and Jeremy Lamb can slowly ease his way back into, you know, being maybe we can get – you know, 75% of Jeremy Lamb that we got last year, I think he'd be a good addition to the team. It's going to take some time, but I think that getting a third seed is very possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities like okay. I thought maybe it might be. And I will say this, Victor has been a true professional yes. this entire season. I had some concerns, but he's been really good. But anyway, we need to take a quick break. We got Scott Agnes coming on next to talk about these Indiana Pacers and their hot start to the season. All right, joining us right now on Setting the Pace is the one and only Scott Agnes. Scott, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, Alex. Good to be back with you. Absolutely, and I know it's been a while since, uh, you know, the Pacers have uh, started the season when we first talked. It's been like three weeks now, it feels like. But uh, here we are, 6-2 and two overall. This team's looking really good, and Malcolm Brogdon has been on fire as of late. Yeah, there's a lot to like, and it's funny, as I'm doing my, like, daily updates and everything, the thing that jumps out at me is there's no obvious starting point. And we're getting to the point where we're normalizing just basic double-doubles, 22 and 12 for Domas, and it's an afterthought. And that's that's actually a really good thing for the Pacers, but not for, like, fans, because what he's doing is special. He's having a really good all-star level year once again. He really is. And, I mean, all the different rankings could be different, but Pro Basketball Reference, they have the Pacers with two MVP candidates in the top four in <laughs> – Malcolm Brogdon, Domas Hold on, Hold on. I got to stop you here. MVP candidates were two weeks into the season. I know. I can't I do that. Know. And look, it's easy to get carried away. But that simple thought right there, <laughs> how crazy is that? I mean, how, how fun is this team right now where we could even have guys in the top four and, and be proud of them? They're playing that well. So that was one thing I mentioned in my story from last night. I go, if you like Indiana basketball, if you got, if you like sharing it, if you like so many guys stepping up, not isolation, isolation ball, constant adjustments, this is the team for you. I think this is the team fans have been clamoring for. Now we'll see if they, I guess it's, I don't know when we'll see it, but with fans um, in terms of 
showing up in the stands and then showing their their care for this team with uh, watching on TV. That's that's the biggest thing because the fan base had turned away. It felt like a little bit over the the last several years um, where they didn't have playoff success. So I'd love to see that momentum in a group come back to support them. Yeah, and I think if they continue the success, you know, getting a maybe home court advantage in the first round would be something nobody really expected heading into the season. And this would be, you know, really encouraging for the Pacers, maybe get a more favorable uh, opponent in that sense. But, you know, you talk about this being such a a great, well-balanced team, and I think that's a great point because after that awesome game on Monday night against the Pelicans, I mean, I kept seeing people try to say who, who won the game for us or who did that. It's like, look, every single person had a part in that comeback. It started with TJ McConnell bringing the energy off the bench, then the bench going, uh, the bench unit with Domas and Malcolm going on that huge run. And, and then Victor, Miles, and Brogdon close it out. I mean, I just – when I look at this team, I really believe that this is a very well-balanced team, and there's a lot of things to like about the rotation. The only thing that I've seen pop up like crazy, everybody talking about the amount of minutes. So – Mm-hmm. where do you see this team and as far as balance goes and how they can maybe, is there a way they can maybe alter some of those minutes and get some guys some more rest? Yeah, they're going to have to. And that's a story I'm going to be writing coming up. I was asking some of the guys about it before, after last night's game, because they're heading into a big road trip here where they're going to jam five games into basically what, six days, seven days. That's going to be difficult because, and the one thing that they haven't been really tested right now like they normally might is with that travel with the circumstances of arriving at 2 a.m. and then having to turn around the benefit of being at home this entire time. Like we saw in the bubble guys is you, your, their bodies just feel much better. And it's encouraging that Victor is saying, yeah, I I feel great. Uh, I don't care what my minutes are right now. It's all about how I respond. And I've responded very well. Um, I would like to see him playing back to backs. And I'm not sure that's a topic he'll broach for at least a, a, a while now, but we did see Kawhi Leonard plays first back to back in what, like four years. So I think that's a very personal decision with a lot of circumstances, but I think it's inevitable that the Pacers are going to have to minimize minutes or I've, I'm fearful for potentially injuries that come from just overload over this condensed schedule. Oh, all we've ever asked for over the past year is to just get this Pacers starting five together. And unfortunately, we've right. still been unable to do that. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about the high minutes, Malcolm Brogdon's played uh, 40 or more minutes in three straight games, I believe it is. And, and yep. Domas, he's averaging over 37 minutes per game. So I know they've kind of been using that eight-man rotation now. You know, you have no Warren, you have no Lamb. Uh, but do you think it's kind of more of a, hey, like it's still a 72 game season. We might have to kind of give guys some rest here and there a little bit because Brogdon, he's playing all-star level basketball now, but he is. we MVP saw level. he's MVP level as some people are saying, <laughs> but we saw those injuries drag him down last year. So do you think we got to kind of maybe throw Brogdon a game off here and there just to be safe or maybe just cut the minutes down? No, I, I, I'm be more in favor of just lowering his amount of workload per game. Like in the New Orleans game, he played the third quarter, the fourth quarter, all of overtime. And that's yep. what made his, his performance, the game winner, all the more impressive is he had to be burnt out. And also consider the fact that this team, none of the teams had a true training camp. So I don't think it's fair to say anybody probably came into training camp 100% or exactly where they'd like to be or where they would be during a normal season. Uh, be just because of the the start and stop and all of that. That's the one thing though is that that has impressed me about Miles Turner, is he planned 
on this season starting kind of December, January, even though there was a lot of talks early on. Maybe we wouldn't see basketball again until March. He planned ahead. He spent six weeks out at P3 in Santa Barbara where a lot of the athletes train and locked in. And I think that's one of the reasons why Miles, another one of the standout players of this group, is off to a really good start. Yeah, and, and you brought up, brought up a good point about Brogdon, too, and, and the fact that he's guarding the opponent's best wing, wing player. Yeah, started uh, on the, James Harden last game. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Brandon Ingram most of the game against the Pelicans, who was great. You know, without T.J. Warren, that is a bit of a problem. And I want to get back to Miles Turner here in a minute, but I, another conversation that's really been happening a lot on Twitter is who should the Pacers start in place of T.J. Warren? And there's been a lot of questions about is Aaron Holiday the right fit? And I don't think that they've had a great net rating with that lineup on the court, though, starting five. But personally, for me, Scott, I- I'm OK with it. I-, I think if you put Aaron on the bench, that does make your bench a little bit smaller. And it also does maybe impact the scoring load off your bench. Not sure how the rotations would look, but is there somebody else you'd like to see get a starting position uh, over Aaron? So first of all, the biggest surprise to me thus far has been the lack of m- mixing and matching lineups mm-hmm. and throwing 10, 11 guys out there as right. we saw Nate Bjorker and hint at right. it's so right, many right. times. Like it was like, oh, all right, well, if this is what we're doing, let's be prepared for it. Well, we haven't seen any of that to this point. Um, and, and it goes back to the minutes thing. You, you're going to have to spread them out and injuries are going to cause that even more <laughs> with everything that's what's gone on. And to that point of what it was with the starting lineup, I think Aaron's done a good job. He knows he's the fifth option. He's there more to create, push the tempo a little bit. But under Nate, he wants to, to, if he truly wants to mix and match and try lineups and experiment. And remember, the thing they hinted at, both Kevin Pritchard and Nate, before the season is we're in here for the long game. We're here to figure out what works. We might have to sacrifice a game or two to do that, but it's more beneficial come the postseason. They need to figure out what Keelan Martin is and is Aaron Holiday best in the starting lineup. So, Eventually, I would like to see something different purely to just to get a, a bigger sample size with something else, get a different look out there. But I think I've changed my mentality. I think um, when I was on with you, Alex, maybe three weeks ago, remember, I kind of hit it. You know what? This might be a slow start. And mm-hmm. I and, and I'd still get what I was suggesting there. But you look at the, the home schedule, you look at the n- amount of players the Pacers brought back. And I think probably what this coaching staff decided is let's be, let's be less experimental from the jump. Let's create a sample size with that starting lineup, even though they really didn't get that opportunity. Let's pile up some wins before this road trip and then go from there. And I think that's what, what they're getting at. You know, we have been so far and look, everything needs to be, you know, thrown in with it's still early in the season, but you know, through this part, we've seen, you know, Vic, make a really clutch, you know, three-pointer and steal. We saw the, the Domas game winner. We saw Miles Turner send the game to overtime against New Orleans. We saw Malcolm Brogdon win it in overtime. Is this team going to kind of go by, uh, you know, almost taking turns in the clutch? Because it seems like these guys have a lot of confidence right now, and it's not just relying on Vic for a game winner. Uh, do you think that's going to work long-term? Because right now, I mean, I'm liking the confidence the group is showing. Yeah, I think you have to. Um, it's just – handling it by committee and whoever steps up they roll with that guy and we know with this group it's probably going to be by committee ultimately and I'm good with that this is not a star driven team but they they could have two certainly three all-star considerations should have at least one maybe two that ultimately get it so yeah 
Um, it's kind of played out in that, that aspect as I expected. And that's considering the fact that TJ Warren really hadn't been available now um, for a significant amount of time coming up. Yeah. And I, I think just kind of monitoring TJ Warren and that injury and seeing what happens with this Pacers roster, whenever he does come back, you know, how healthy will he be? There's a lot of questions, but I don't want to get into that right now because I think you brought it up before on the last question uh, that I, before the last question I asked you, and it was about Miles Turner. And this is a guy that stepped up huge when Domas got in foul trouble. He played with five fouls and, you know, unfortunately fouled out uh, when Zion came at him, but you know, he's been so good at protecting the rim. And not only that, you know, the three-point shot is starting to come back a little bit since the first couple of games when he really struggled. But last night in that Rockets game, I just kept looking uh, to see when uh, Bjorkman was going to put Turner back in because it just felt like the Rockets were just getting to the rim at will. And, and with Sabonis, you know, this is a guy that's really good on offense, and his defense has gotten better. It's improved. We saw him have a great block last night, but he's still not someone that has that same impact, you know, protecting the rim like Miles does. And to seal the game like they did, blocking hard in the double, the turbonus block, you know, just talk a little bit about Miles Turner's defense and, and what he's doing differently that you're noticing this year overall on both ends of the floor. I think he's playing with an edge. He's he's motivated more than ever. To a detriment, he pays attention to what everybody's saying, especially on social media. I wish he'd get off much like he did last year that I wrote about um, in a story. But I think he pays so much attention to that that right now – in fairness, it's fueling him for the better. And he, he's just the, the way, first of all, he's not hesitating as much offensively. I think he's pulling the trigger. He knows he has the green light and I'd like to see him continue to do that from three point range. If, if we know he can shoot it, he just has to build that confidence. And that's a big reason why his defense, especially early in games is critical because how many times do we see him get a big couple of rebounds or a block early on? And then he ends up with 10, 12, 14 points. It kind of fuels him. I feel like we've noticed um, over his career. So he's doing different things defensively as well on top of um, protecting the rim, which we, of course, know he can do. He's done that his entire career. But what he's also adding is they're pushing him out to a front of a zone. He's being active with his hands um, and, and deflecting balls. That was the other thing on top of the late block last game uh, against the Rockets. How he had that key deflection late. And then he's really on the other end to go back to the offensive end. How about him dribbling, put it on the floor more, going between his legs, getting to the rack. Mm -hmm. It just feels like he has a little bit more spunk. I don't know, for lack of a better word, in his game right now. Spunk, confidence, however you want to put it, it's evident. You could just see it. I mean, when it came down to forcing overtime, and he did that fake, and he went right up from that three-pointer, and Alex even posted it. That was a deep three. That wasn't right on the line. That was... It looked like yeah. that was like a couple feet back and he did not hesitate. And how about I the pass it. fake? I oh don't think God. enough guys use the pass fake. And I love that from they, him. they mm -hmm. don't, they completely bought that fake. It got miles a great wide open look at it. And he made the three. And I think what you, what you hit on before he took, I think a bit of the, the negative, you know, attention in the past way too much to heart. And I, I think that it could do nothing but bring you down, but it feels like he's now used that as motivation. So I love it. But one guy who I think has quietly been playing really well, Justin Holiday. How important was it to bring Justin Holiday back? We're seeing him in an expanded role. He's playing about 30 minutes per game. He's enjoying a career year, 10 and a half points per game, shooting about 53% from the field, 42% from three. I mean, this is someone who the other day played 45 minutes off the yeah. bench. I mean, how important was it to bring Justin back, especially when you're playing an eight-man rotation? 
Yeah, he's playing starters minutes. Aaron's mm-hmm. starting, for example, but he's playing 10 fewer minutes on average um, right now. And, and yeah, it was critical. There's That's the big reason why I kept saying that was their number one priority in the offseason, and they were able to get it done. It didn't take long. Justin wanted to be back. He wanted that multi-year deal for the first time in his career, and he finally got it. Um, and it was a priority for him to be here, but to tell you how much he wanted to be here and planned to, he was already in Indy um, when he agreed upon the deal. He'd been uh, earlier in the day at a, uh, somebody that told me they uh, walked past him on Mass Ave when we're asking him, you know, what he was up to. So he's kind of settled in here. He's got his family, his two girls. And on top of that, he's just become the dependable, Mr. Reliable mm-hmm. um, utility weapon for this team because the couple things that's so special about him is number one, he's a great teammate. Secondly, he knows all the plays from one to five. And that's another thing. I thought it was notable that Nate Bjorken brought that up because we specifically had talked with Justin about that in the locker room post game previous uh, year, last year. But to hear Nate mention it, that was the first time he brought it up. So he had already recognized that here just a month with Justin um, says all you need to know about how Nate feels about Justin um, just a month in. Yeah, that, that was the guy I really wanted after we got Brogdon. It was like mm-hmm. just a little bit of cap space left, and I was like, man, I feel like Justin Holiday would make a lot of sense for this Pacers team, especially how he played in, in Chicago and Memphis, and I just felt like he had good games against us and was just somebody I felt like fit this Pacers culture, and here he is now, and he's uh, way – he's over-exceeded my expectations. But I want to get a little conversation here going about Victor Oladipo because we saw, you know, pretty much uh, a vintage Vic night uh, against the Pelicans. And then last night against the Rockets, you know, kind of came back down to earth a little bit. Still hasn't been shooting the ball super great, but overall, you know, Victor through this season, I'm curious your thoughts on his overall play. And then number two, unfortunately, we still have the conversation of what do the Pacers do with Victor in the future? Now I know he's still extension eligible and all this stuff. And I still expect it to at least go to the trade deadline, maybe to the summer, but do you anticipate if the Pacers are playing this well, making any changes during the season for right now i'd say status quo keep as is there's no reason to kind of look into anything just yet because everybody is still trying to get a good feel of where victor's at and i think early on it's been positive as results he's averaging 20 points per game his shot comes and goes right he'll have that game where he knocks down five threes and then might go two for 11 the next game and so that's that's one thing he needs to shore up a little bit i know we've talked about um, his dribbling sometimes gets a little loose, can turn it over. I'd like to see that go below or go more towards one per game. And I should note one of my great stats I mentioned from Malcolm Brogdon, what he's done over the last three games, playing those 40 plus minutes, 126 minutes, I think over the last three games, two turnovers. <laughs> that That's incredible to me, but With 25 assists in that span. How yeah. about that? And two career highs. He topped himself and then did Mm -hmm. it again and hit a game winner in between that. Hell of a sandwich (laughs) for (laughs) him in this past week. But, yeah, back to Victor. I think you just continue as is. And you. I've been really encouraged with what I've seen from him. It feels like he has that joy again. I called him out last night because he mentioned feathery for the first time with us all season long. Wow. And that suggests where his headspace at. He's he's back to that more that comfortable in a good in a good spot, feeling himself a little bit in a good way, and and then crediting teammates. I mean, he went on uh, a long note about Miles Turner and how dependable and re- and important Miles plays for this team. And so things things are in a better spot than they were a couple months ago. Um, 
And I think that his priority still continues to be he wants to get paid number one. And I don't blame him after that injury and, you know, approaching 30 here. And secondly, he wants to be on a competitive team. And right now the Pacers are absolutely the latter and it remains to be determined how much they'd be willing to, to spend, to keep him around. Because I think going into this offseason, I don't know this, but I just wouldn't be comfortable if I'm the Pacers or any team offering him a max contract based on what we had seen up until before this season. I completely agree. I think that Vic is having fun right now. I think it's great to see him being productive. I mean, shooting over 40% from three, you know, like you mentioned, he's averaging over 20 points per game. An underrated thing, sure, rebounds could be, you know, deflated stat in today's game. He's averaging six rebounds per game, which is actually second best on the Pacers, which is kind of a little bit of a sad thing and something I wanted to bring about. They are uh, last in rebounding. They're last awful. in the league yeah. in rebounding, and that was already an issue last year. So there's, I mean, while the Pacers, you know, when you talk about adding someone, I look at it as like TJ Warren and Jeremy Lamb are going to be the additions to this team when they come back, but that's not going to help the rebounding issue. What can the Pacers do to fix that? Because I don't think we can just hope that, hey, Gogo's going to get healthy at some point and we can plug him in. I think this is this is a major issue that, I mean, the Rockets, the Rockets are a poor rebounding team, and I believe they out-rebounded the Pacers yesterday. Yeah, I wish I had the answer, and if I did, I'd probably give it to the Pacers and be hired by them because it's not just an issue this year, right? It's, I, it probably extends back four or five years at least. Generally speaking, they want the bigs to get some. They really want the, the guards to come down, and I've been impressed uh, at least last first two weeks, Doug McDermott, what he's yeah. been able to do out of that guard spot and rebounding. There's one game I think he finished with nine, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, and then you're right, but mentioning Victor, I don't know what the, the big answer is on all that, but it's, it's an obvious challenge right now for this team. Probably the biggest concern of mine. Secondly would probably be the lack of free throw attempts. I'd like to see them get, get to the free throw line a ton more. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with all that. And I think Sabonis has been better at getting to the free throw line, but he's not converting at a high percentage. So I'd like to see him work on that. But yeah, McDermott, he's definitely been somebody that's been really a pretty good rebounder for this, uh, for what he's asked to do. And that's kind of why I thought maybe putting him in the starting lineup for, for Aaron would make some sense. Plus his ability to stretch the floor because he's a much bigger threat from outside of the arc than, than Aaron is who has really struggled this year shooting the three-point shot. But speaking of McDermott, this is a guy that got hurt last night. Do we have an update on his injury? Nothing new to report. Team did not practice on Thursday. Okay. The day we're recording this. Um, I'm sure he went in, got that evaluated. And it's. I know he had an ankle injury here recently, I want to say in training camp, where it was just a slight tweak. Um, and he also had that knee bruise. Remember he banged knees? with somebody in the preseason in Cleveland, I think it was. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And and had to leave the game early. Um, But it didn't look super bad. I hate to speculate just because we don't know at this point, but the fact that he didn't return to the bench, remain back in the locker room suggested it was more than just a basic tweak, but that would be a huge loss if he was even to miss a game or two, because as we alluded to earlier, Nate hasn't been willing or chosen to go deep into his roster yet. You're without Goga. You're without Lamb. You're without Warren. To be without Doug, you'd have basically a seven-man rotation, and he would have to venture deeper than that, I would think. Yeah, I would think so. To keep on the the injury-related topic, uh, last month there was a report that Jeremy Lamb could be back on the court mid to late January. 
Are we hearing anything different than that? Or does it look like the Pacers might play it safe, maybe keep it to be about February return? Yeah, I, I think it's still a couple weeks away at least. So beyond the, the midway point here in January, he, he's still not playing five on five. He, he is practicing. He's getting shots up. He looks good on the court from what the, the coaches are saying. Um, but the fact that he hadn't advanced to three on three or five on five um, suggests to me he's still several more weeks away. And this is um, one situation where you la- lacking practice time doesn't help your case. And this is where you'd also like to have your G League team and utilize them much like you did with Victor um, in normal times where you'd send Jeremy um, to practice with the G League or maybe you'd bring them here, the Mad Ants, to get Lamb up to speed because, of course, he's not in game shape. And that's one of the big concerns and whenever he comes back, but when he does, then it adds a whole different dimension because he was a, a very good sixth man for the Pacers before that injury. But I think it'd be at least late January at best. Well, and I want to ask you this too about Jeremy Lamb, because even when he does return, what do you see his role being and how long do you think it'll take him to, to really, you know, you know, get to some, to some level where he can be competitive because I know that coming back from an injury like this is really tough. And I've seen people say, oh, once Jeremy Lamb gets back, you know, he's going to be our sixth man off the bench or our fifth starter until Warren's healthy. It's like, I think we should maybe kind of tamper expectations for what he can do when he returns because he's still got a long ways to go, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for any guy coming off injury, you have that mental aspect. And I know he's not past that hurdle yet. You you know, you still want that big fall you want to take that big foul, maybe, uh, you know, draw a charge, little things like that, um, just to kind of break past that that mold after suffering an injury. And so there's that. There's finding that rhythm, the game rhythm, game shape. That, that's, I think, ingrained in my mind from Frank Vogel, right? He would always talk about you got to be in game rhythm, game shape, and, and those sorts of things. So likely he's not going to be back up to steam, I wouldn't think, until that second half of the season. When, when the, you know, that the second part of the season is announced, which will come up right in March 20th, March 12th ish, then I think by then you would expect him to, to jump right in and be back in the rotation and maybe playing those 20 minutes per game. But I would, I would expect the Pacers to be cautious with his return and certainly not have high expectations with him from the beginning. You know, that's a real thing because, in the beginning, I mean, I'll, it's still to this day, I feel like a worried grandmother every time Vic hits the floor. <laughs> it, you know, you're just, I got my hand over my mouth just thinking, oh my God, I hope he's all right. He gets back up and we're, all right, okay, good. So I do think that's going to take Jeremy, Jeremy's body a bit to really, you know, get that confidence back that everything's going to be just fine. But to wrap up the injury part of it, has there been any update on Goga? Because I just feel like we can't get this guy on the court. Yeah, there there has been a, a slight update. We talked with Nate Bjorkren about him. I think it was last week, and I, I mentioned it. I put it at one of the bottom of my stories about T.J. Warren. Um, he, he seems, according to Nate, he seems like he's like a week away, like he's close. But Nate didn't want to speak out a turn and put like a definite timeline to return. But again, they're not practicing, so that's a detriment to Goga, who just needs reps out there. So kind of in the back of my mind my expectation has there's a slight chance you see him on the back end of the trip next week when they're on the west coast trip but they haven't practiced and he isn't practicing so it's kind of that toss-up and and you got to take it slow with him a little bit but we would like to see him back and see where he would be able to contribute 
All right, Scott. Well, I waited towards the end of the the, uh, the conversation to ask this question because I've already had two people jump into my DMs and ask me. Lance Stevenson entering the G League uh, draft, and, and fans are asking, do you have any idea, number one, how the G League draft works, and would it be possible to, to get Lance through it? So um, do you have any insight on what this G League draft is, and if the Mad Ants were to draft him, how would that work with him You know, maybe being a part of the Pacers organization? Yeah, so there's lots of unknowns. I've been talking with the Maddians and, and trying to have actually Brian Levy, the general manager, for a conversation. But for now, they say, hey, let's hold off until a G League announcement. Could have been one today as of this recording. Maybe it'll come next week. They're kind of in discovery mode still and trying to figure out all the dis- different circumstances, right? Where is it going to take place? How many teams will participate? When will the draft be? I haven't seen any specific date. And Keep in mind, the Mad Ants don't even have a coaching staff. So I do know Brian, um, Chris Taylor, some of the management with the Mad Ants have made their way back to Fort Wayne this week. They're back in town now. So that tells me they're gearing back up for this G League season. Now, as for Lance, I don't know. I don't believe any team would have his rights. And so he would go into the draft. And uh, my basic understanding is, yeah, the Pacers slash Mad Ants would be able to to draft him. But again, the games would all be out of town. It's not like he'd be in Fort Wayne um, at all. So that it'd kind of be a waste, wouldn't it? You'd almost feel sad if he was back with the franchise or organization and you wouldn't be able to attend those games. Cause those are just pure fun. He makes things lively and entertaining. No, he really does. I think Pacer fans just want him back in any which way possible, just to see him in a Jersey, you know, would bring a smile to a lot of people, but before we let you go on anything, you know, the Pacers at six and two through just eight games, I, I, I've been impressed with them. I mean, their numbers across the board. I mean, it's the second best record in the league. They're shooting the third best field goal percentage. The three pointers are at a very reasonable amount, 17th in, in the league. What's been your overall assessment of this team early on? Are they ahead of where you thought, or maybe, Hey, this is kind of what I expected with a coaching change. No, I would say for one, I think they're, ahead of schedule I expected a, a little bit of a slow start nothing horrible maybe 500 a little better um, just because of the lot of newness the adjustments getting a, adjusted to Nate Bjorkren but um, secondly the thing that jumped out is the effusive praise that they continue to have for Nate um, whether it's his adjustments his positivity it's it's clear that he's hit he's been the perfect guy for the job at least so far and that's another story I'm in the process of writing because That's really stood out to me. And then the other thing is I just think the balance, both from the roster standpoint and the fact that right now they're a top 10 team, both in offense and defensive rating. And they haven't quite had that balance in years past. Their points per game are way up. I think maybe eight points per game, something like that. That's a significant jump um, considering all the talk and roster transformation that we've seen over the last couple of years to be more offensive minded while having a focus defensively. And, and then I think the other thing, and this obviously just jumps out because it's top of mind this last week, is they're closing games. How many times last year did Nate McMillan, oh man, I was tired of hearing it, can continue to go, we got to play 48 minutes, we got to play 48 minutes. And now, at least in these last couple of games, they have done that. They've held their opponent scoreless over the last two plus minutes and gotten the victory. So that's, that's another thing that has been encouraging here through the first couple of weeks. No, it's, it's really been a lot of fun to watch this Pacers team 
you know, blossom so quick. And, and there's so many good things from every single player that's been, you know, out there on the court. So really exciting times if you're a Pacer fan. So Scott, thank you so much for joining us once again. And where can people find you out on Twitter? And what do you have to, to plug that you have coming out in the, in the coming future? Sure. Yeah. I'm at Scott Agnes on both Twitter and Instagram. I did make my site Fieldhouse Files behind a paywall, but I invite everybody to at least give it a chance um, and help support my work there. And then I also am now doing a video daily update, uh, the daily download with ISC Sports Network. So if video is more your preference. That is also a separate subscription, but I'm doing, you know, anywhere from three to seven minutes video update on the topic of the day, maybe some news and insight that I'm gathering. And there's, there's so many stories like we've talked about that, I'm having a difficult time keeping up, but I plan to write on the assistant coaches, introduce them a little bit. You oh, got to talk about Miles Turner. And, and then I think something about Malcolm Brogdon in terms of how he has just taken this team, uh, taken the reins, both from a leadership standpoint and in a um, production standpoint with Vic, without him, without TJ Warren, all of that has really impressed me here in the early going. Scott, can't thank you enough for the time. I look forward to uh, checking out your content as always. Some of the best out there. Very good, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks, Scott. All right, Fachi, I think that wraps up today's show. Uh, any final thoughts? No, just what a fun time to be a Pacer fan. I mean, right now, bring on Phoenix, a team that's starting to get that buzz. I mean, they do have the one seed in the West. Well, I found it pretty interesting that the Pacers have the best record against the Western Conference since the start of last year. So, you know, I like that. So why not bring on the best that the West has to offer right now, a team that was scorching hot in the bubble. So uh, I think that's going to be the next good test for this Pacers team. Yeah, the, the Suns are playing great basketball right now, and they are going to make a little bit of a road trip here. Uh, they got the Pistons on Friday night, and they face the Pacers on Saturday. So they're going to be coming off of the second night of a back-to-back -back while the Pacers will have been rested at home. We saw how the Pacers came off a back-to-back -back against Chicago and then beat Boston at home and Boston had been here resting for a few days so you know that doesn't mean anything necessarily but if, if Detroit can you know push them a little bit I don't know Detroit's not been very good this year at all but if Detroit can you know make Phoenix work for that first W on the road uh, then they got to come in at the end of the next night it, it could be a nice a nice surprise for the Pacers to get a little bit of a tired Phoenix team but I wouldn't count on that too much Chris Paul Devin Booker uh, Mikael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton. This team is really good. Their bench was really good last night and their win against the Raptors. So, yeah, I just – this is going to be the Pacers' probably biggest test of the season so far. My God, the last thing I ever want to do is, is, is hope for Detroit to do anything. They are the definition of a bottom feeder in this league. But right at the there same, with your Wizards. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> anytime, anytime you got Bradley Beal dropping 60 in an L, you know that team is trash. Hey, Devin Booker dropped 74 in a loss. And, so. and, and took a picture with it, and the whole team celebrated like a win, which, <laughs> you know, was a little ridiculous in itself. But it's a new Suns era, man. Chris it, Paul, it, that yes. was a great addition. I mean, it, we didn't, really we're not going to really preview this game but I mean Chris Paul is somebody that we absolutely loved in the offseason would loved him on the Pacers just because of what he brings and I know he's, he gets, he's older older a lot of money but look at what he's doing to Phoenix six and two this year this is a team that yes they won eight games in a row and still missed the playoffs I mean they went eight no in the bubble didn't even get into the play-in game it was still a possibility but they didn't but you bring in Chris Paul and he changes things like you said so yeah I mean <laughs> he's doing everything I expected him to do out there in Phoenix 
Really is. Um, I mean, just I think he's going to keep everybody on top of their game over there. So that's not going to be an easy matchup. But I, I like the early season tests because you, know, you beat a team like the Cavs and everyone was talking, well, if they're 3-0 and or whatever, they were, maybe they're 3-1 and at the time. It didn't mean that much to me because I don't believe in Cleveland. But a team like the Suns, I do think that they're probably going to be a playoff team. So, yeah. hey, why not see what they got to offer? I'm excited for it. Um, and right now I, there's not one single thing other than the rebounding issue that I can complain about this Pacers team, but Hey, that's just me being a little too hard on them. Let's sit back and enjoy these wins. Absolutely. So we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three. I'm at Alex golden NBA and Foch is at underscore FACCI. If you like this podcast, make sure you're subscribed, get all those downloads the night ahead. So when you're out and about, don't have to worry about having connection if you go somewhere where there's no service. So uh, you can just listen to the Pacers podcast, setting the pace whenever you want. And at the end of the day, Flashy, we have three words for all of our fans out there. Let the people hear those three final words. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.